36. Themselves the human life of the mountains. Their upper settlements show a certain common physiognomy, born of their relation to the barren transit region above. Except in those few mountain districts of advanced civilization where railroads have introduced through traffic over the barrier, at the foot of the final ascent to the pass, where often the carriage road ends and where mule path or foot trail begins, is located a settlement that lives largely by the transmontane travel. It is a place of inns, hostelries, of blacksmith shops, where in the busy season the sound of hammer and anvil is heard all night, of stables and corrals crowded with pack and draft animals, of storehouses where the traveler can provide himself with food for the journey across the barren, and inhabited heights. It is the typical outfitting point such as springs up on the margin of any pure transit region, whether mountain or desert. Such places are Andermatt and Arolo, lying at an altitude of 4,000 feet or more on the St. Godard Road, St. Moritz below the Malaja Pass, Shaka near the pass to Canfranc over the Pyrenees, Kubiar and Shadadula at an elevation of 10.775 feet or 3285 meters on the road up to the Karakoram Pass 18.548 feet or 5655 meters, which crosses the highest range of the Himalayas between Lay in the Upper Indus Valley and Yarkand in Chinese Turkestan. Farther down the transverse valley the type of settlement changes where side valleys, leading down from other passes, converge and help build up a distributing center for a considerable highland area. Such a point is Kiavana in northern Italy, located above the head of Lake Como at the junction of the Mera and Liro Valleys, which lead respectively to the Splugan and Malaja Passes. It lies at an altitude of 1090 feet 332 meters and has a population of 4,000. Such a point is Aosta 1913 feet or 583 meters elevation in the Dora Balti Valley, commanding the Italian approaches to the Great Street Bernard Pass and the less important called de Fenetra leading to the Upper Rhone, the little street Bernard Highway to the Valley of the Isere, and called de la Seine Path around the Mont Blanc Range to the Valley of the Arf. Aosta was an important place in the Roman period and has today a population of about 8,000. Kokan, in the Upper Serdaria Valley in Russian Turkestan, commands the approach to the Passace of the Western Tianshan and the Northern Pamir. Its well-stocked bazaars, containing goods from Russia, Persia and India, testify to its commercial location, when the highland area is very broad and therefore necessitates long transit journeys, genuine past cities develop at high altitudes, and become the termini of the transmontane trade, such as the lay 11.280 feet or 34.39 meters on the caravan route from Central Asia over the Karakoram Pass down to Kashmir, and such as 352.52 feet or 16.03 meters in Kashmir. To their markets come caravans from Chinese Turkestan, laden with carpets and brick tea, and Tibetan merchants from Mahasa, bringing wool from their highland pastures to exchange for the rice and sugar of lowland India. Lay is conveniently situated about halfway between the markets of India and Central Asia, therefore it is the terminus for caravans arriving from both regions, and exchange place for products from north and south. Seldom do caravans from either direction go farther than this point. Here the merchants rest for a month or two and barter their goods, tents of every kind, camels, yaks, mules and horses, coolie transports of various races, men of many languages and many religions, give to this highlight town a truly cosmopolitan stamp in the summertime when the passes are open. Kabul, which lies at an altitude of nearly 6,000 feet near the head of the Kabul River, is the focus of numerous routes over the Hindu Kush and dominates all routes converging on the northwest frontier of the Punjab. It is therefore the military and commercial key to India. 
its narrow winding streets are obstructed by the picturesque kafilas of oriental merchants, stocked with both Russian goods from the Oxus districts and British goods from India in evidence of its intermediary location. Occasionally a very high market develops for purely local use. The Indian Himalayan province of Kumaon contains the market town of Garbayang, at an elevation of 10.300 feet or about 3,000 meters. On the Kali River Road leading by the Lipualik Pass 16.780 feet or 51.15 meters over to Tibet, it has grown up as a trade center for the Dokpa Tibetans, who will not descend below 10.000 feet because their yak and sheep die at a lower altitude, farther east in the Sikkim border. Tarjiling 7150 feet or 2180 meters elevation is center of the British wool trade with Tibet. Often the exchange point moves nearer the summit of the pass, dividing the journey more equally between the two areas of production. Here develops the temporary summer market, high up on the route between Lay and Yark and Issasar, a place of unroofed enclosures for the deposit of cotton, silk and other goods left there by the caravans plying back and forth between Lay and Sisser, or Sisser and Yarkand. Nearly midway on the much-frequented trade route between Lay and Lhasa, at a point 15.100 feet nearly 500 meters above sea level, just below the Skako Pass, lies Gardok in western Tibet, in summer a busy market surrounded by a city of tents, and the summer residence of the two Chinese viceroys, who occupy the only two substantial dwellings in the place. Here at the end of August is held a great annual fair, which is attended by traders from India, Kashmir. Mongolia, Chinese Turkestan, China proper, and Lhasa, but by November the place is deserted, the traders disperse, and the few residents of Gardok, together with the viceroys, retire down the Indus Valley to the more sheltered village of Gargans of 14.140 feet or 43.11 meters elevation, which represents the limits of permanent settlement in these altitudes. The Sulaj Valley route from the Punjab to Alhasa is kept near its summit at an altitude of about 5,000 meters by the summer market, of Jayanama, whose numerous types of tents indicate the various homes of the traders from Alhasa to India. Natural thoroughfares, whether river highways or mountain pass routes, draw to themselves migration, travel, trade and war. They therefore early assume historical importance. Hence we find that peoples controlling transmontane routes have always been able to exert an historical influence out of proportion to their size and strength, and that in consequence they early become an object of conquest to the people of the lowlands. As soon as these desire to control such transit routes, the power of these past tribes is often due to the trade which they command and which compensates them for the unproductive character of their country. In the eastern Himalayas the Tomos of the Chumbai Valley are intermediaries of trade between Darjeeling and Tibet. In the western Himalayas, the Kumaon borderland of northern India, which commands some of the best passes, has made its native folk or as bold merchants who jealously monopolize the trade over the passes to the Tibetan markets. They stretch for a zone of 30 miles south of the boundary from Nepal to Garhul along the approach to every pass, each subgroup having its particular trade route. It is always possible for such past tribes to levy a toll or transit duty on merchandise, or in lieu of this to rob, Caesar made war upon the Baragri and Siduni, who commanded the northern end of the Great Street Bernard Pass, in order to open up the road over the Alps, which was traversed by Roman merchants Magno Cum Periculo Magnus Cum Portoriis, the Selassie, who inhabited the upper door of Balti Valley and hence controlled the little street Bernard Wagon Road leading over to Alugdunu Morlia on regularly plundered or taxed all who attempted to cross their mountains, 
On one occasion they levied a toll of a dram per man on a Roman army, and on another plundered the treasure of Caesar himself. After a protracted struggle they were crushed by Augustus, who founded Aosta and garrisoned it with a body of Praetorian cohorts to police the highway. The Upodes in the Julian Alps controlled the Mount Acropertry Pass, which carried the Roman wagon road from Aquileia over the mountains down to the valley of the Labuck and the Save. The strategic position they exploited to the utmost, till Augustus brought them to subjection as a preliminary to Roman expansion on the Danube, turning to another part of the world. We find that the Afghan tribes commanding the passes of the Suleiman Mountains have long been accustomed to impose transit duties upon caravans plying between Turkestan and India. The merchants have regularly organized themselves into bands of hundreds or even thousands to resist attack or exorbitant exactions. The Afghans have always enforced their right to collect tolls in the Kibar and Kohat Passes, and have thus blackmailed every Indian dynasty for centuries. In 1881 the British government came to terms with them by paying them an annual sum to keep these roads open, just to the south the Gomal Pass, which carries the main traffic road over the border mountains between the Punjab and the Afghan city of Ghazni, is held by the brigand tribe of Waziris, and is a dangerous gauntlet to be run by every armed caravan passing to and from India, the Ossetes of the Caucasus, who occupy the pass of Dariel and the approaching valleys regularly preyed upon the traffic moving between Russia and Georgia, till the Muscovite government seized and policed the road. The strategic importance of past peoples tends early to assume a political aspect. The mountain state learns to exploit this one advantage of its ill-favored geographical location. The cradle of the old Savoyard power in the late Middle Ages lay in the alpine lands between Lake Geneva and the western tributaries of the Po River. This location controlling several great mountain routes between France and Italy gave the Savoyard princes their first importance. The autonomy of Switzerland can be traced not less to the citadel character of the country and the native independence of its people, than to their political exploitation of their strategic position. They profited, moreover, by the wish of their neighbors that such an important transit region between semi-tropical and temperate Europe should be held by a power too weak to obstruct its routes. The Emir of Kabul backed by the rapacious Aphrodite tribes of the Suleiman Mountains, has been able to play off British India against Russia, and thereby to secure from both powers a degree of consideration not usually shown to inferior nations. Similarly in colonial America, the Iroquois of the Mohawk Depression, who commanded the Passwadi from the Hudson to the fur fields of the Northwest and also the avenue of attack upon the New York settlements for the French in Canada, were early conciliated by the English and used by them as allies first in the French wars and afterward in the revolution. Chapter XVI Influences of a mountain environment There are zones of latitude and zones of altitude. To every mountain region both these pertain, resulting in a nice interplay of geographic factors. Every mountain slope from summit to Piedmont Island from the anthropogeographical standpoint, a complex phenomenon, when high enough, it may show a graded series of contrasted complementary locations closely interdependent grouping of populations and employments, every degree of density from congestion to vacancy, every range of cultural development from industrialism to nomadism, the southern slope of the Monte Rosa Alps, from the glacier cap at 4,500 meters to the banks of the Po River, yields within certain limits a zonal epitome of European life from Lapland to the Mediterranean, the long incline from the summit of Mount Everest 8840 meters in the eastern Himalayas, through Darjeeling down to sea level at Calcutta, comprises in a few miles the climatic and cultural range of Asia from Arctic to Tropic. For the state, 
A territory of varied relief is highly beneficial, because it combines manifold forms of economic activity, a wide range of crops, areas of specialized production mutually interdependent. It induces a certain balance of urban and leaf, rural life, which contributes greatly to the health of the state. The steep slopes of Dinapon, fertile only under spade tillage, will forever ensure Japan the persistence of a numerous peasantry. For geological and geographical reasons, as from national motives, therefore, Japan will probably never sacrifice its farmer to its industrial class, as England has done. On the other hand, contrasted reliefs on a great territorial scale tend to invade political solidarity. Tidewater and Mountain Virginia were poor running mates for a century before the Civil War, and then the mountain region broke out of harness. Geographical contrasts made the unification of Germany difficult, and yet they have added to the economic and national strength of the empire. The history of Switzerland shows the high alpine cantons always maintaining a political tug of war with the cantons of the marginal plain, and always suffering a defeat which was their salvation. The chief effect of a varied relief is a varied climate. This changes with altitude in much the same way as with latitude. Heat and absolute humidity diminish, generally speaking, as height increases, while rainfall becomes greater up to a certain level. The effect of ascending and descending currents of air is to diminish the range of temperature on mountain slopes and produce rather an oceanic type of climate. The larger and more uniform a climatic district, the more conspicuously do even slight elevations form climatic islands. Like the harsh mountains in the North German lowlands, a land of monotonous relief has a uniform climate, while a region rich in vertical articulations is rich also in local varieties of climate. A highland of considerable elevation forms a cold district in the temperate zone, a temperate one in the tropics, and a moist one in a desert or steppe. Especially in arid and torrid belts does the value of elevation for human life increase. The highlands of Mexico. South America and the Himalayan rim of India show stratified zones of tropical, temperate, and arctic climate, to which plant, animal and human life conform. The response is conspicuous in the varying density of population in the successive altitude zones. Central Asia shows a threefold cultural stratification of its population, each attended by the appropriate density, according to a location in steppe, Piedmont and mountain. The steppes have their scattered pastoral nomads, the Piedmonts with their irrigation streams, support sedentary agricultural peoples, concentrated at focal points in commercial and industrial towns, the higher reaches of the mountains are occupied by sparse groups of peasants and shepherds, ringing from upland pasture and scant field a miserable subsistence, the same stratification appears in the Atlas Mountains, intensified on the southern slope by the contrast between the closely populated belt of the Piedmont and the wandering Tuareg tribes of the Sahara on the one hand, and the sparse Berber settlements of the Atlas Highlands on the other. The long slope of Mount Kilimanjaro in German East Africa descends to a coastal belt of steppe and desert, inhabited by Swahili cattle breeders. Its Piedmont, from 1,000 feet above the plain up to 2,400 feet, constitutes a zone of rich irrigated plantations and gardens, densely populated by peaceful folk of mingled Bantu and Hamitic blood. At 6,000 feet, where forests cease, are found the crawls cattle, sheep and goats of the semi-nomadic Maasai of doubtful hemitic stock, who raid the coastal lowlands for cattle, and purchase all their vegetable food from the tillage belt. See maps page 105 and 487. This stratification assumes marked variations in the different geographical zones. In Greenland life is restricted to the Piedmont coastal belt, 
above this rises the desert waste of the ice fields. Norway shows a tide-washed Piedmont, containing a large majority of the population, above this, a steep slope sparsely inhabited, and higher still, a wild plateau summit occupied in summer only by grazing herds or migrant reindeer laps. Farther south the Alps show successive tiers of rural economy, again with their appropriate density of settlement. On their lower slope is found the vineyard belt, a region of highly intensive tillage, large returns upon labor, and hence of closely distributed settlement. Above that is the zone of field agriculture, less productive and less thickly peopled. Higher still is the wide zone of hay farming and stock raising, supporting a sparse, semi-nomadic population and characterized by villages which diminish with the altitude and cease beyond 2,000 meters. On Etna, located in the tropical Mediterranean, three girdles of altitude have long been recognized, the girdle of agriculture, the forest belt, and the desert summit. But the tourist who ascends Etna, passes from the coast through a zone of orange and lemon groves, which are protected by temporary matting roofs against occasional frosts, then through vineyards and olive orchards which rise to 800 meters, then through a belt of summer crops rising to 1550 meters, and varied between 1400 and 1850 meters elevation by stretches of chestnut groves, whose green expanse is broken here and there by the huts of the forest guards, the highest tenants of the mountain, from these lonely dwellings down to the sea. Density of population increases regularly to a maximum of over 385 to the square mile 150 to the square kilometer near the coast, in the tropical highlands of Mexico, Central and South America. On the other hand, concentration of population and its concomitant cultural development begin to appear above the 2,000 meter line. Here are the chief seats of population. Mexico has three recognized altitude zones, the cold, the temperate and the hot corresponding to plateau, high slopes and coastal Piedmont up to 1,000 meters or 3,300 feet, but the first two contain nine-tenths of the people. While the plateau has in some sections a population dense as that of France, the lowlands are sparsely peopled by wild Indians and lumbermen. Ecuador has three-fourths of its population crowded into the plateau basins mean elevation 8,000 feet or 2,500 meters, enclosed by the ranges of the Andes. Peru presents a similar distribution, with a comparatively dense population on a plateau reaching to 11.000 feet 3500 meters or more, though its coastal belt, being healthful, dry, and fairly well supplied with irrigation streams from the Andes, is better developed than any other similar district in tropical America. In Bolivia, 72% of the total population live at an altitude of 6,000 to 14.000 feet while five out of the nine most densely peopled provinces lie at elevations over 11.000 feet. See map page 9. From Mexico to Central Chile, the heavy rains from the trade winds clove the slopes with dense forests, except on the lee side of the high Andean wall of Peru and Chile, and reduce much of the Piedmont to malarial swamp and jungle. The discouragement to primitive tillage found in the unequal fight with a tropical forest, the drier, more bracing and healthful climate of the high intermontane basins, their favorable conditions for agriculture by irrigation, and their naturally defined location stimulating to early cultural development, all combined to concentrate the population of prehistoric America upon the high valleys and plateaus. In historic times these centers have persisted, because the civilized or semi-civilized districts could be best exploited by the Spanish conquerors and especially because they yielded rich mineral wealth. Furthermore, 
The white population which has subsequently invaded tropical America has to a predominant degree reinforced the native plateau populations, while the imported Negroes and mulattoes have sought the more congenial climatic conditions found in the hot lowlands. The relativity of geographical advantages in different historical periods warns us against assuming in all times a sparsity of population in mountains, even when the adjoining lowlands offer many attractions of climate and soil. In ages of incessant warfare, when the motive of safety has strongly influenced distribution of population, protected mountain sites have attracted settlement from the exposed plains, and thus increased the relative density of population on the steep slopes. The corrugated plateau of Armenia and Kurdistan, located on the uneasy political frontier of Russia, Persia and Asiatic Turkey, exposed for centuries to nomadic invasion from the east, shows a sparser population on its broad intermontane plains than on the surrounding ranges. Security makes the latter the choicer places of residence, hence they are held by the overbearing and marauding Kurds, latecomers into the land, while the older and numerically weaker Armenians flower down on the lower levels. Here is an inversion of the usual order. The militantly stronger intruders, with no taste for agriculture, have seized the safer and commanding position on the hills, descending in winter with their cattle and horses to pasture and prey upon field and granary of the valley folk, whose better soil is a questionable advantage. Instances of this sort, rare in modern times, because of general economic and social progress, multiply when we go into the history of primitive or ancient peoples. The Cherokee Indians of the Southern Appalachians, surrounded by powerful neighbors in the Chickasaws, Creeks and the encroaching whites of the seaborne colonies, attacked by war parties of Shawnees and Iroquois from the north, located the bulk of their nation in the mountains, the overhill and middle towns, numbering together 33 and situated wholly in the mountains, comprised four-fifths of their fighting force in 1775 while the nine towns distributed in the flatlands of Georgia and South Carolina were small and unimportant. The Indians themselves distinguished these two divisions of their country, the one as odor or mountainous, and the others as arid or low. Similarly in ancient Gaul the three strongest tribes, the Sequini, Edui, and Arverni, all had a large mountain nucleus. The Sequini held the Jura range with part of the Somme Valley, the Edui held the northeast corner of the central plateau and some lands on the Somme while the Arverni inhabited the western and central portion of the same highland, in a period of constant tribal migrations and war, the occupants of these high, protected locations were better able to defend themselves, and they maintained an adequate food supply by holding some of the adjoining lowland. Archaeologists generally agree that in central and southern Italy settlement first took place in the mountains, gradually extending thence down into the plains, the superiority of the upland climate, the more abundant rainfall, the greater security against attack offered by mountain sites, and the excellent soil for agriculture resulting from the geological makeup of the Apennines, all combined to draw thither primitive and later settlement. See map page 559. Similarly in Britain of the Bronze Age, before the peoples of Aryan speech began to swarm over the island, the primitive inhabitants, involved in constant clan or tribal warfare, placed their villages on the hills and left in the indestructible terraces on their slopes the evidences of a vanished race and an outgrown social order. The advance of civilization, which brought the ancient pirate-ridden city from the inner edge of the coastal zone down to the wave-washed strand, also drew the hill town down to the plain, and the mountain population from their inaccessible strongholds to the more accessible and productive valleys. These facts contain a hint, 
the future investigation of archaeological remains in high mountain districts may reveal at considerable elevations the oldest and hence lowest strata of prehistoric development, strata which, in the more attractive valleys, have been obliterated or overlaid by later invasions of peoples and cultures, ignoring this temporary attraction of population to protected mountain locations in ages of persistent warfare. We find that a comparison of many countries reveals a decreasing food supply and decreasing density of population, with every increase of height above a certain altitude, except in favored mining regions and in some tropical lands, where better climatic conditions and freedom from malaria distribute settlements far above the steaming and forest-choked lowlands. The density of population in mountains is influenced also by the composition of the soil, which affects its fertility, by the grade and exposure of the slopes which determine the ease and success of tillage, by the proximity of the highlands to teeming centers of lowland population, and by the general economic development of the people. In Great Britain, the sparsest population is found in the sterile highland moors of Scotland, where the county of Sutherland has only 11 inhabitants to the square mile, Inverness only 20. These figures reveal also the remoteness of a far northern location. In the southern half of the island the sparsest populations are found in the Welsh county of Radnor with 49 to the square mile, and in English Westmoreland with 85, both of them mountain regions, but reflecting in their larger figures their close proximity to the teeming industrial centers of South Wales and Lancashire respectively. In France the most thinly settled departments are Bass's Alpes with 43 to the square mile and Oates Alpes with 50, which again owe even these figures in part to their situation on the margin of the densely populated valley of the Middle Rhone. See map page 559, Norway, almost wholly a mountain country, averages only 18 souls to the square mile, less than a thousand square miles of its territory are under cultivation, and these are distributed in small deltas at the heads of the fjords, in low strips here and there along its western coasts, or in the openings of its mountain valleys to the southeast, here to is massed the larger part of its inhabitants, a barren granitic soil, and favorable zonal location excessive rainfall, paucity of level land, leaving the upright farm predominant, and remoteness from any thickly settled areas, together with the resulting enormous immigration, have combined to keep down Norway's population. If we turn to Switzerland, a country poor in the resources of its land but rich in the resourcefulness of its people, we find a high average density, 218 to the square mile, but this is due to the surprising industrial development of the marginal plains which show in the canton of Geneva 1456 to the square mile, and in canton Zurich 705, while the rugged upland of Grobwind and Grissons shows only 38 to the square mile, Uri only 48, and Wallis-Vallis only 59. How limited is the food supply of the country is evident from the fact that only 2400 square miles, or 15%, of its area, can be ranked as arable land, fit for garden, orchard or grain field while a larger proportion, or 28%, is made wholly useless by watercourses, glaciers, rock and detritus. One half of the entire country lies above the region where agriculture is possible. In the cantons of Uri and Valais, more than half the area is absolutely unproductive, scarcely less in the Grisons, and a third even in sunny Ticino, the three strictly alpine provinces of Austria, Tyrol, Salzburg and Carinthia reproduce approximately these geographic conditions, nearly half of their area is uninhabited, and only one-seventh consists of arable land, in consequence they support only 75 inhabitants to the square mile, 
while just outside the mountains, in the Piedmont or Alpine foreland, this density is deviled. Many tracts of the Carpathians, especially about the sources of the Visanproof and the wooded mountain borders of Transylvania, are among the most sparsely inhabited parts of Europe. Japan, reached by steep volcanic ranges, drenched by mountain-borne rains, strewn with detritus from plunging torrents, can cultivate only 15.7% of its area, and is forced to leave 59% in forest reserves. These figures tell of the hard conditions of life characteristic of most mountain regions. Population under normal circumstances settles in the narrow valleys between the ranges and along the borders of their drainage stream. Soon, however, the food supply becomes inadequate for the growing numbers, so that artificial means have to be employed to expand the area of arable land. The soil on the mountain slopes is so thin that it yields only a scanty return to the labor of tillage. Moreover, under the operations of plowing and harrowing, it is exposed to the danger of washing, so that after a few croppings the underlying rock of the mountainside may be laid bare, and all that was valuable in the quantum field deposited in the valley is silt or swept away to enrich the distant delta of the nearest trunk river. To obviate this difficulty and to secure the desired increase of arable land, mountain peoples the world over have resorted to terrace agriculture. This means handmade fields, parallel walls, one above the other are constructed on horizontal lines across the face of the steep slopes, and the intervals between are filled with earth, carried thither in baskets on the peasants' backs. The soil must be constantly renewed and enriched by manure in the same way, and the masonry of the retaining walls kept in repair. Whenever possible these costly terraced fields are located by preference on southward-facing slopes, where the tilt of the land makes the fields catch the rays of the sun almost at right angles and thus counteracts the chill of the higher altitude, while the mountain behind protects the growing crops from cold northern winds. Good arable land, being limited in amount, commands a high price, and especially do choice terraced fields in vine-growing countries, since they make the best vineyards. Such fields in Switzerland will bring from 300 to 2.000 an acre and are estimated to produce annually two bottles of wine for every square foot. Terrace agriculture, rare in new countries, in the more densely populated old world is widely distributed in mountainous areas. In Germany, where it is nearly identical with the culture of the vine, it is found along the steep slopes overlooking the valley of the Moselle and the Rhine, also in the Vosges Mountains, the Black Forest and the Swabian Jura, to the limited altitude in which the vine will flourish in these northern regions. In the Alps it is widespread, and not confined to the culture of the vine. The traveler passing along the upper Rhone through the sunny canton of Valais follows these terraced fields almost as far as Fiesque altitude 3458 feet, beyond which agriculture proper becomes M.